Friday podcast listeners. Welcome back. Hey, that uh, first part of that conversation with uh, Neil and Jordan up in Kodiak was pretty awesome. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of a shipboard deployment that exciting. But then again, I've done one that lasted five days and I watched all of the Marvel movies in chronological order. <laughs> How about you, Kenny? Uh, I've had some pretty exciting hitron deployments. Okay. Um, some like sheer panic, uh, <laughs> adrenaline dump. So sphincter um, uh, closing in. Yeah, eating some seat for sure. Oh, for sure. Uh, well, without further ado, we're gonna just jump right back into it and kind of get into that conversation that those guys had uh, and all those great star cases that uh, they did. So let's do it. I don't think many people can say they've done a SAR case where they fly in and out of a front in like a couple of different times just to save somebody's life. Did you guys stay in Cold Bay for a bit or did you guys go back to the boat that same day? We stayed the night in Cold Bay because the, the ship was quickly, after we left, out of limits. So we just stayed land-based out of Cold Bay. Yeah. A little uh, NFOL there so we can tuck the aircraft into a hangar and then a little crash pad for us to crew rest in. And uh, we'd meet them the next day with improving weather, yeah. jump back on the cutter. Gotcha. What happened next? So I got the first one out of the way. Okay. Tan, yeah. Switch off. All right, Jordan, you're up. And I mean, honestly, I'm like, probably all we're going to do this trip. And uh, yeah, we were like, Jordan was checking up like the lucky charm. So <laughs> Jordan picks up and we, we got the call, man. How do you remember? So it was funny because you always talk about like, oh, you're going to be like, you know, when you're sleeping, you're rack and they come and wake you up and you're going to have a star case. Well, I've never had that. I've always been at my desk or awake, something like that for any kind of star case. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this one, it had been a couple of days. We were on the boat for a while. We kind of got that. We got all four seasons on this boat trip. Like we experienced the boredom when there's nothing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had been like four days, maybe five days of just being on the boat. They were doing boardings. There was nothing going on. I'm trying to figure things out. I was actually getting getting kind of seasick for a little bit there and kind of sipping on my ginger a lot. And uh, this one was like 4 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. I was asleep and then Neil came down to me um, and he was like, hey, take your time, wake up, come meet me up in the ops room. There's a, there's a pretty bad medevac that we're probably going to head out and go do. Um, and so we, we were out in the middle of the... the bearings north of Unimac mm-hmm. and this boat was about 120 miles out from Dutch Harbor so just smack in the middle of the bearing just to the north of it okay I think initially they were about 120 or so yeah they were a distance away mm-hmm. um, so I remember waking Jordan up man. so they they woke me up about four and they said hey this uh, this guy's got a pretty bad injury on, on this fishing vessel America's finest a partial foot amputation he had he'd put his foot through the meat grinder on the ship what? <laughs> They're right. Are so, you wait? Uh, are you serious? You put his foot through a meat grinder? Whatever, yeah. like yeah. So these big, it's a catcher processor, and I think this one was in the probably the two hundred foot range, almost two hundred foot. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they have this whole factory downstairs. So they haul the fish up onto the deck. It all goes down below, and then they process it. Mm-hmm. So fish goes in boxes of frozen fillets. Eventually, come out. They probably have some grinder where like all the heads and fins and stuff go, mm-hmm. like a hole in the ground. Stuff and somehow he should have been wearing his exit Yeah, no exit <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
he got it pretty mangled, man. Um, but the 60 from Kodiak was going to respond. The weather was atrocious. Mm-hmm. So they actually did. They took off about 4.30 in the morning, got got off the island and into the storm and had to turn around. And these and these guys, you know, they don't like to turn around, man. Like, yeah, these 60 guys out here, they plan some gnarly stuff. Oh, yeah. So they turn around and come back to Kodiak. So the here whole, comes the, whole, the 65. <laughs> yeah, I, Leave it Clear yeah. the way, Big Iron. <laughs> Alpat's here to save the day. Hell yeah. So I stayed, so they notified me when the 60 was responding, and then, you know, the boat office was like, ah, the 60's got it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Stay with it. So I stayed up with him, did some flight planning, and looked at where the boat was and how, what our response would be. And, and uh, hey, we talked about before, like fuel planning and, and bad weather, right? So, mm-hmm. Rule of thumb for us, about 80 nautical miles. I can take a full fuel load. 80 nautical miles, I can get out there. I can have 20 minutes on scene. I can get back and I can have a 400-pound fuel reserve. So when I have a little something, when things go sideways or that, you know, that double headwind kicks up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're like, all right, that's what we're going to do if it comes to us. 60 turns around and, you know, I'm getting everything on Skype chat uh, that, hey, you're in the show. It's you. We can't respond. No one else can respond. Yeah, so that's there, was, there was no one in cold day. So nobody, really? You know. So I was like, heck yeah, man. Uh, that's and that's when I woke Jordan up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, from there, Jordan, take it away, man, because we were we were actually I think we were in the what they call the Beaver Inlet there out of Dutch. We were getting ready to go right. into a port right. call the next day. So we were weather avoidance. There's this big inlet that will bar pat in the Beaver and, Inlet. Uh, and Beaver Inlet, yeah, it's on on, uh, on Alaska Island there. But we were doing some weather avoidance there, and we were planning on, I think, flying off that day anyway. But mm-hmm. now we had a whole different mission. Yeah, and uh, that system was definitely was definitely there. And the boat was north of Dutch Harbor, so we had to go to Dutch Harbor and then refuel, reposition, reset, mm-hmm. and then and they were, they were about 120 at the time, so kind of the planning model was have the boat steer towards Dutch Harbor. You know, we had to do the whole traversing and start launch from the, the cutter. Mm-hmm. And anytime you that from the cutter, my experience has just been that, you know, just everything's slower and more complicated and mm-hmm. higher risk. Yep. Uh, so we eventually got out of there that once again, the point or taken off out of the cutter was, um, the, yeah, the storm was hitting. Yeah. The storm, it, it, we were in the storm hit that night. So, yeah. In order to get you out the back, we had to get the deck crew out there. They were shoved, had to shovel snow off the flight deck. Oh, and dang, dang, them below. dude. And then they're chipping ice out of the tie-down fittings. Yeah. And every minute that the aircraft is on the deck, once we got it traversed, it's just getting covered in snow. So we're doing the, the snow removal. Um, yeah, we, we woke, woke up. Wait, oh, no wait, back, back up. There is there a snow removal technique for a 65? <laughs> like, I am... Literally. Do whatever you can wipe with your hands. Like, <laughs> you guys would have like blow dryers out there trying to like <laughs> yeah. warm it up. <laughs> the only thing we can so if we ice on the deck, the only thing we can do is push it back in the hangar. And hey, dude, these boats are old now. That hangar doesn't have any heat. Yeah. So I don't know how long it would take to defrost that thing, but it'd be wild. So we knew the risk. The risk there was the storm's hitting. And once we push the plane out, we need to be ready to get in it and go because the longer it sits out there, the more chance of accumulation that will occur. But 
this winter was cold. I mean, yeah. it was colder than than uh, a lot of than the last winter I was in. So snow, really cold snow. Not a lot of that wintry mix stuff that that will hit the helicopter and like turn into slush, which is problematic. Yeah. So this bouncing off the helicopter, not not sticking, which was which was good. Yeah. So Damn. and then we coordinate gas in Dutch Harbor. Uh, the ODO had launched the C-130. The C-130 was going to meet us on scene. Yeah, we needed cover for sure. The distance. The, mm-hmm. the, the rendezvous was at about 90 miles um, from where we took off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we had about a 45-knot headwind getting out to the boat. So we're kind of slow chugging up there. When we got to Dutch Harbor, we, we didn't pull a lot off the, off the aircraft. But w- one thing we did plan on was doing a litter evolution with the guy's leg being that bad. So we knew yeah. going into it, we told the boat to expect a litter. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second, like how we did it, but um, kind of pulled some stuff off the gear, max gassed it, and then went out there. And uh, I think it was, I think we just planned on like, say it was like 15 foot seas, 45 knot winds on scene. Yep, that was the on scene condition. And yeah. then uh, easy Alaska day, right? When there. you hey, when you say max gas, were you taking off at 9480 or max gas to give you a little torque margin to be able to get off the boat? So this one was since we were planning on getting off the boat anyway. So we took we took I took my entire crew or we we took our whole team okay uh, off the cutter to Dutch Harbor, and then we max gas from Dutch Harbor. Okay, so we're taking gotcha to go meet the uh, the fishing vessel. Gotcha, and that was okay. yeah. And this was one of those plans. We're like we're not we're taking everyone from a maintenance perspective because. We're not coming back to the boat for this arcade. Nah, plus, the plus boat they had, in. Yeah, they had a port call the next day, so they mm-hmm. kind of just made the call earlier. But, um, and then the, the boat was also really helpful. They started staring up the UGAC past there, and they were going to be off cover, even though they were going to slow. Luckily, mm-hmm. we had to see one. But that was a factor they helped us out with. Um, and then you could probably talk about the how we positioned the boat, because that was really helpful. Yeah, so, oh, man. Yeah, dynamic, you know, like, wow. I knew it was gnarly uh, when I got the case. You know, always keep my eye on the weather. And I was like, okay, so this is going to be, you know, how are we going to do this? So the conventional wisdom for prosecution of this case is, right, turn the boat, beam to, you know, you kind of cross the T to do a bow hoist. We're looking at a bow hoist here. Yep. You know, kinda, and kind of cross the T, right? Let them take the, the swell on the beam that like can roll. But it's usually like when the bow starts pitching that that gets hard to hoist to. Yeah. Um, when I first got to Alpat, I was, I was talking to my flight mechanic and she was mentioning a, a difficult star case she was a part of. She was a similar boat, I think at night, and they were trying to do the bow hoist that way. Mm-hmm. And were difficulty doing it to the point where they're like, hey, I'm not sure we can do this. And then the co-pilot was like, hey, what if we turn the boat downwind, down swell, we have a lot of ambient wind and, and we kind of settle the boat out and we back down with them to hoist off the bow. Yeah. And they were able to, they were able to complete the hoist. And I was like, Oh wow. So that kind of stuck with me. And then one day Jordan and I were eating, you know, it was about lunchtime on the Alex Haley and all day it was just miserable. Like, man, how do you even eat in this, these seas? You know, how do you even get, and then right around lunchtime, you know, we get our plate, we sit down and like the boat's not moving. It was very steady. I talked yeah. to the ops. Hey, ops, what'd you, what'd you do to get this boat like this? Oh, for lunchtime, we turned downwind, down swell. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll settle the boat up that much? Oh, yeah. I thought we were in dry dock. <laughs> 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 so, 
so I'm like, okay, noted, you know? Mm -hmm. And then this case, and it's like 45 knot wind, 15 foot seas, big, big boat, you know, not a lot of time to get it done. Like what's our, we're like, what's our best chance of getting this done the first time right away without wasting any fuel. And it's like, I was like, Hey Jordan, we're going to try this downwind downswell. Yeah. We get there. I, so were I you, think it's gonna, you, yeah. you, you guys, just for visual perspective, they're going down when Dell swell, you guys are nose into the bow of the boat, um, backing down at like 10 knots or something. Yeah, exactly. The boat's at like my two o'clock. I'm facing the bridge. Basically that was my, I was almost eye level with the bridge, uh, maybe a little bit higher. Yeah. And then the, we're backing down at like 10 to 12 knots and we had 45 knots off the nose though. Mm-hmm. So, still making 30 knots, you know, like, and that's, that's definitely a consideration. Our third, uh, medevac off the Phoenix, we did the same thing again and we didn't have the wind. And that was our lesson learned there was like, man, why am I pulling 9.5? Well, because I had 10 knots of wind and I'm backing down at 10 knots or eight knots, you know? So, Hey, I'm, I'm hovering. Yeah. Um, yeah. Heck, but in this case, in that case, you could be backing down at your ground speed could be 20 knots backwards, but still above ETL. Right. Yeah. We were flying the whole time through the hoist, which was really weird. And you're and you're backing. You know, you're you're looking at the hover page and you're backing left yeah. with your uh, vector. Yeah, I've done um, I've done hoist where I've done bow hoist and I've slid it. I slid left. Well, you know, they put them forty five degrees left of the wind line, but ne- never gone completely down swell down down wind like that. That's a a really good outside the box technique, guys. That's awesome. And you got to have the wind for it. You know, we had 45 knots that day yeah. at least. Man, and that's crazy. That really helped us. We, and for planning, we were about 90 off, 80, 80 something, 90 miles offshore. So we, we had, obviously we ran our numbers and uh, it was an awesome crew mix with the C-130. They did a hoist brief, gave them all the information. Tommy Humphreys, he's like a, I mean, he's a, he's a legend here Legend, now. legend in after, the C-130. Yeah. yeah. After this one, we got another one about him. Yeah. But uh, he gave, brief had everything boat was ready for us uh we we had planned 18 minutes on scene that's what we got and uh we lowered luke down another technique that i really liked he took the trail line with him immediately turned a direct deployment of the swimmer to the uh, bow of the vessel into a trail line recovery of the hook and into a litter deployment mm-hmm. and we backed off at that point and while well, he packaged the patient for about five minutes and then we moved back in, litter, litter trail line pickup from the swimmer, put the patient on board. He still had the trail line. He, uh, bear hook went straight down on the trail line to the swimmer, picked the swimmer up, and we were out of there in under 15 minutes. We were heading back to the. Wow. Um, and then we had that 45 knot tailwind, so we were cruising at like yeah. a buck 80. I thought you guys said buck. you always had headwinds. Yeah, Neil way. said double headwinds <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> 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 yeah, man. Oh, that I'm happy to get that that day. We're doing a buck eighty because you know half the time to to get back. Yeah, but uh, was this at at night? I mean, I knew you said it was call came in the morning, but at that time of year, was it dark the entire time you were hoisting? It was it was daytime. I think it was about noon. Yeah, oh, okay. Thank God that one. So by the time these boats are great, but they can only go like twelve knots. So you know you're trying to you're trying to time that rendezvous with them to when they can get within that, you know, 80 miles. Mm-hmm. So it ends up a little bit of time. And, uh, did you guys can, actually use the rendezvous feature in the CDU? We did. Yeah. We did. did you really? We did. 
Heck yeah, yeah. And it was uh, pretty dang near spot on. Yeah. So I, t- I, I crack up every time I teach that to a T core student because I'm like, ah, you're probably never going to use this thing. That's <laughs> awesome. There's just something like it gives you something because you're, you're taking off, you know, and it's 80 miles away. You got nothing painted on radar. You got maybe a position they got off AIS that the command center gave you. Yeah. And uh, an hour ago. It, 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 fuzzy just headed. Yeah, the C-130 Something. wasn't on scene when we took off. You know, they met us out there. And yeah, so. it ended up being um, pretty spot on. Another really cool thing about that was uh, coming back home, my T-Cats wasn't moving. So mm-hmm. the C-130 is like still sitting off our left. And I looked through the glass window on the flight mech side and the C-130, he, they were like flaps 50. And Tommy said, because we had 180 ground. You're going the same speed. <laughs> They just joined up on our left wing and we're flying forms with the C-130 back in the Dutch. So that was, that was something. That's awesome. Never so, thought I'd do. But so did yeah. you guys have um, to dust off the old Dash 1 and be like, hey, uh, Neil, you remember to do that intercept or rendezvous? You're like, no, I have no idea. Or are you guys like, no, it, did it all come back to you? I, I think, um, you know, just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for the hour transit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It was a lot of time. All right, Dale, I'm fine. We figure out. <laughs> yeah. And we couldn't get the dash one open. No, I think, uh, <laughs> I think we remembered. Oh, good. You know? Good. Yeah. And that was, that was good. Yeah. Sweet. So that was Jordan. That was Jordan's. And that was like the first, we employed the downwind downswell technique. It worked out well under those conditions. It was, is something you really only want to pull out when you've got strong winds and you're doing it because you've got big seas. You don't want to turn them beam. There's a better way than just turning them beam too. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was like a proof of concept and it was successful. You got the swimmer down and, and back with the patient in, in 12 minutes. Um, so it's very efficient there. So we were like, Hey, you know, that kind of worked and we didn't have to wait too much longer to try it again. Yeah. The, the next one, it was like two days later where the boat was on a fall call in Dutch Harbor. I think we were embarking the next day mm-hmm. and we got a little apartment in Dutch Harbor. That's our cruise shack. And I mean, Dutch Harbor is beautiful. And then this storm, it literally had sat over us for about five days. And so much so that after this next medevac that we did, uh, we actually ended up as the Coast Guard doing a mass medevac for about five or six people on Dutch Harbor where they, once again, Tommy Humphreys flew a C-130 into Dutch Harbor um, and did one of the most aggressive, gnarly, amazing, impressive landings I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, just disappeared in a white cloud as soon as he threw his thrust off. And um, But what had happened is Dutch Harbor was, you couldn't see out the window at all. It was just white um, snow, middle of February winter storm, you know, but mm-hmm. for about five days. So in the middle of that, Day three or four of the storm district calls us. And once again, nobody or Kodiak couldn't respond into that area because of the storm and fishing vessel Phoenix, which was a hundred something miles north of Dutch. Again, they had a guy. What's that? I'm just cracking up. I'm thinking of uh, the command center and they've got like their whiteboard up. And what what was your tail number? It was the seven one, wasn't it? Like, yeah, six, five, 
Yeah, six five seven one's written in like huge letters with a big circle on it. Like any SAR case around on Alaska, like this is our asset. <laughs> They're just sending you into the gnarliest storms because the sixties can't respond. What's up? <laughs> what is up, sixties? Sorry, all right, you keep going, Jordan. <laughs> That's how it felt, you know. Uh, success in Akitan and success with America's finest started started to catch some eyes. I think you once know? again, like Neil had one, I have. <laughs> Right there. <laughs> I and I, I'd say let me just like put some for the sixty five for a second, you know. The conventional thinking out here is like, hey, the the sixty, sixty, sixty and I I know like they're gonna get first right of refusal of any star case, but mm-hmm. success Accutan, success on America's finest, like people start to look like, Hey, freaking sixty five out here, you know what I mean? Uh still a capable asset. Uh and was like, Okay, let's let's start feeding them more. Yeah, a couple, yeah. couple of salty DCAs out there. Can't stop them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Neil made a good point, like, when we were studying and stuff on the boat, just talking, like, we are a short-range recovery asset in a long-range recovery world up here. Yeah. And that having that mentality and being able to explain that to the cutter, you know, when they, oh, why can't you do this? Well, the six can do it. Yeah, he's got six hours of gas. I don't. Yep. Um, but in the right setting, and I think the biggest thing that I learned from that deployment with Neil was, Neil positioned our crew to always be able to respond. And he put us in the best possible position to one, be safe and respond safely, but also to be effective. And, you know, being that position in Dutch Harbor, the way we did things, I think really paid off. And that's how uh, we were able to, able to assist, you know? Yeah. Uh, So we're in Dutch, your day four, whatever this, gnarly snowstorm c-130 does the greatest landing you've ever seen and you get a call for what? and you get a call for star case number three what's up so, so the c-130 came up to number three um but it was so we, we had like just gone to bed because we were planning on embarking the next day mm-hmm. yeah i think the was supposed to break a bit and uh but right now i mean like outside the, the roof i thought it, it's the the wind is hitting the windows it's shaking the building i mean it's it's like you're in a washing machine. Like I can't explain <laughs> it. You just have, yeah, it, it's fun. It's fun. And when <laughs> Ben to Dutch Harbor, Ben to the apartment, apartment knows, you know, the, the wind's out there, no joke. Yeah. Uh, so this is my turn now. I'm like, all right, Jordan's had some fun. I got to watch Jordan have some fun. Now I'm next in the seat and we get the call. Hey, you know, uh, fishing vessel Phoenix, they're up uh, on the fishing grounds and they've got a uh, crew member who needs a medevac. They want to, hey, can you do it tonight? And Neil gives me those crazy eyes and I'm like, no. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> the storm's hitting Dutch uh, pretty good, but I think the their position was uh, actually over towards Cold Bay. So it'd be like, well, we'd have to take off, refuel in Cold Bay, which is an hour and a half flight, and then get on scene. And I think Cold Bay was like quarter mile freezing fog. It was like not not Fenestron weather at all. <laughs> so, so back to Kodiak, and then Kodiak's like, well, that's not sixty weather either. It's like, okay, can we avoid cold? We, we looked at everything. Can we avoid cold bay? Where else is there fuel? Surprise, surprise, like nowhere. Yep. Um, okay, so how can we do this? Does the patient need to be, does this need to happen tonight? Well, the answer with flight surgeon on that was no, but we would like it soon. It's like, okay, what's the forecast day for, for first light? Forecast says better. Okay, can we get the ship moving? Can we get the fishing vessel moving from where they are now towards Dutch Harbor and get, get that 80 miles, right? Like, yeah, we get them. We'll turn them right now, and by you know nine in the morning, which is like sunrise, like ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
nine in the morning, they can be 80 miles. I'm like, okay, well, we can be on scene like right around then. So this is, weather's looking better. This is looking like a plan. District buys off on it. We all agree. We're not going to accept it tonight. We'll accept it in the morning. Let's get to bed, get some sleep and get going. Yeah. So the whole night, sleeping there and the wind is just beating the apartment. Like, sounds like the roof's going to peel up. I'm like, any minute now, the weather's going to get better. Just like the tap said. Yeah. Never does. I'm never does. I'm trying to get sleep, but I'm waking up and I'm hearing the wind. So we wake up to get the plane ready and launch it out. It's just the weather did not improve. So yeah, you guys, uh, you guys sent me the video. I'll, I'll just take a quick bit here. Um, and that is the gnarliest part of the video that you made, Jordan, that, uh, shows, I think the Alaskan weather, cause you're pushing the aircraft out of the hangar in Dutch and it's dark yeah. and there are snow drifts just coming across like, and pi- starting to pile up on the aircraft as you're pushing it out. I'm like, I, I, yeah. I don't even know how to describe like what words I was to use. Like, holy shit. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> or, I don't know like, what to do in that situation. It's impressive. That hangar is pretty famous for that. Um, I've heard stories about that from prior outfitters and we got a little snow shovel that we got to get rid of the snow drift at the door yeah. so that when you tug the aircraft out, that the tug doesn't get stuck on the snow coming out of the door. But, um, yeah, that, that was like the pre-flying. We're like, we're doing this one? Yeah. Like, we're still going? Yeah, you like, you keep looking around waiting for someone to be like, you know, this is dumb, right? Like, yeah, 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 we're yeah, not yeah, actually we're, doing this, right? right. Okay, okay, good, good, good. <laughs> no, keep nodding in the affirmative. So, I mean, the weather is at Dutch, you know, it was varsity weather, but it, but we weren't going to cold bay anymore. So like that quarter mile freezing fog was not in the equation anymore. Yeah. They were, they were going to be closer to us than that. So yeah, uh, that, that was like the no go threat, right. That to do it that night, but in the morning, like, all right, so I think we're still looking good. Uh, I think we ended up delaying a little bit just yeah. to let the sun because the weather had not improved like the tap said so we're like hey we're gonna let the eent or bmnt whatever the sun come up a little bit a little bit of sky glow so when we take off we can see the wind gusts and down drafts and whatnot mm-hmm. no bands coming they're not a surprise um and we still met the on-scene time and that actually bought down a little more risk uh yeah. on that evolution so yeah the epic video by by jordan so hold that thing out and i i don't know if i should die myself out like yeah do road brakes man I'm, I'm like dude i just i got in the helicopter in the hangar and road brakes the door closed and <laughs> yeah, these guys pulled out, guys pulled it out of that gnarly storm i been <laughs> you didn't we, get back out either did you you just oh, oh yeah don't worry i'll get your free flight man. Well, we got that in the hangar, <laughs> but, <laughs> but then we, we pulled it up and and went out 80 miles to meet the Phoenix. Um, same conditions as Jordan's, uh, 45 knot winds, 15 foot seas. So we're like, hey, we'll run the same play, you know? Yeah. Downwind down, get a good chance of success right off the bat. Don't have a lot of time to play around with. This person was ambulatory, so we're just looking at a basket, yeah. get him in the basket and get him to, to higher level of care. Mm-hmm. And um, definitely less complicated not having to do the litter. Yeah. C-130 overhead. So big shout out to the happy family that's Kodiak with all the airframes up here. Uh, mm-hmm. C-130 never had C-130 support before, but what they do is actually fantastic. Get it overhead, establish comms, pass the vessel brief, give us vessel location, like pass the game plan to the boat. So when, by the time we got there, it's like 
rescue check part two. Like the boat's already going the right direction. Quick com- confirmation with the captain that we're on the same page and we are. And then it's like, all right, get her done. And that, that saves a lot of time too. Yeah. And is that something where you talk to the C-130, hey, you're en route to the star case, you got 40 minutes, you talk to the C-130 and you're like, hey, this is what we're thinking, please pass this along to them? Or is that pre-coordinated before you even took off? Uh, Usually, once we're airborne, once we're up, because the altitude fly at, and uh, they can, we usually get pretty good comms with them at those distances. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, it's impressive to see that many units come together and work seamlessly to execute that star case. It's really cool. That's one of the things I love about Kodiak, you know, um, standing ODO is not always fun. You know, we get that. But even when you're the guy on ODO back home, which as an O3, that's obviously us a lot. And there's, you know, that there's an ODO who's been up all night answering all those calls, making the coordinations. There's a 60 crew that tried to launch out for that, that couldn't, that turned around. There's a C-130 crew that's planning on that first light departure. There's us in LPAD, you know, mm-hmm. LPAD doing our it. And I mean, that's literally what it takes to do majority of the star cases down here. So, I mean, it's just, that just goes back to like what we were initially talking about. I wanted to come here and, and experience that and kind of get some of those boxes checked. And, um, it kind of, it's hard to replace once you leave here, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see the tear in your eye right now. It's awesome. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, ho- hoist was pretty easy. You guys got back to Dutch. No problem. Yeah, so we, well, I mean, we pull up, we run that same play. It's working out well. Uh, shout out to my flight mechanic. Well, we got Luke with us in the back, swimmer, and then my flight mechanic, uh, AT1, right? AT1. AT1. Michael Herbranson came from Puerto Rico, you know, uh, that summer, just straight up into the NAR, mm-hmm. and find out later that's his very first boat hoist. Dude crushed it. Nice. We pull into position, down went down swell, and we're just like, Good visuals, you know. I'm watching like the the Inversat rigging a little radar, little dome on top of the the fishing vessel as mm-hmm. uh, when you're just watching these big swells that go right up the stern, heave this thing up, and you're like, geez, you know. Uh, but everything was steady, and it, it was working well, and the winds were smooth. So I was like, all right, get the basket down. Patient gets in, uh, bring him up. Rescue check part three. And, uh, and away we went back to Dutch Harbor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of that smoothness, um, I like to credit flight max because, uh, I might be changing my altitude up front and that boat's heaving up and down and they are managing that cable, uh, and preventing <clears throat> pulling that basket up and off or, you know, slamming that basket down back down on the deck after they've already pulled it up. Uh, it's really impressive right. what those guys do. Oh, he did a phenomenal job too. There's some good, uh, I think on that video too, of him pulling the uh, patient in. So, but you know, the whole time we're doing this, you know, like paint the picture. I think the, the ceilings were a bit lower that day, but uh, bands of snow, just some snow coming through. So I already talked about the winds. We talked about the seas and mm-hmm. then this one, we had snow coming through, reduced visibility. Um, so we're dealing with that. So you have periodic bands of snow ripping through and then, uh, once we got off the boat, we're transiting back, you know, going through the bands is not as big of a deal uh, there because, you know, got the radar up, you know, everything's clear ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Jump on the little out back to the Dutch Harbor. And uh, it's never over till it's over. Uh, Jordan, <laughs> Jordan, Jordan's flying back, uh, get into Dutch Harbor, still windy. 
never improved, like they said. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, let's got a good game plan. So if you've never been out there, there's this huge, like, 1,600-foot mountain, and they build the runway at the base of it on, mm-hmm. on the leeward side. Yeah. So as when the winds hit this thing, man, they it just splits the winds, and then, they end wraps up, around. and then they end up wrapping around the backside. So it's one of those airports where the wind socks can, like, face each other or face away from each other depending on the wind within like a 200 within like a hundred meter distance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we, we get in there. All right. So just getting in and out of there eats people's lunch, you know, this, <laughs> the mysteries of wind. So we get in there. All right. And, uh, Hey, which way, you know, which way do you want to face? I'm like, Hey, just there's the ambulance. Let's shut it down. Uh, get the patient off and get this thing towed in as quick as we can. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Jordan, what, I'll let you pick it up there, man. What happened next? <laughs> we, uh, we're shutting down, and the ambulance is pretty close to our right side. And maybe that was shielding some of the wind there, but this we got hit by, I'm pretty sure it was a Willy Wah, um, which is just a major gust of cold wind. Uh-huh. And Neil was uh, on the controls. I'm reading the checklist, and for a second, like my peripheral, I just feel the aircraft moving. And I see the eyeballs of my flight mech who's right outside as we're shutting down. And we we just got hit from the left side. We're rolling. And I was like, sweet, we're, we're dynamically rolling. Like, there's nothing we can do. Like, in my mind, I was like, Whoa. we're gone. And the ambulance was, like, right next to us. Um, obviously, I, I don't know if you put an input or something. But now nah, we were all we were all good. But it was uh, <laughs> An eventful shutdown. Did it actually, like, yeah. it, so it started, would you guys get, like, 10 degrees right wing down or something from that wind gust from the left, or? Yeah, we just got slammed with a, like that a gust of wind yeah. from the from the left side of the aircraft. But in that vulnerable phase where you're where you're spooling down, yeah. and uh, um, it was, but the, you know, the, the patient's going out the door, the ambulance is right there. It just would have been a, a bad situation, but you just can't win. Yeah. yeah. Was, Man, there was, I thought we're on the ground and done with this. Well, there, there was no... <laughs> There's just no, there's no safe way to point. Like, hey, couldn't you just point the aircraft the other way? Yeah. yeah. Like, you're trying to paint the picture. Like, the the wind will come at you from the left side, and then it'll come at you from the right, and then you'll get a big, strong downdraft off the top of that thing that'll come at you at a different direction. Yeah. It's, uh, it's such a dynamic place to fly. You really, you get to like apply your pilot stuff to it. Uh, Dude, you get a cross left crosswind no matter which direction you land. It's just like that double yeah. headwind, you know. <laughs> but uh, for the listeners out there, a willy wall is a real thing. I just looked it up on my phone because I was like, you guys are making this shit up. <laughs> a willy wall, a sudden blast of wind descending from a mountainous coast to the sea in the Strait of Magellan or the Aleutian Islands. And uh, there you go. Dang. It's a real thing. Willy wall. Well done, Jordan. <laughs> well done, sir. Here. Oh man. Okay, so uh we successfully rescued this was a kidney uh patient, right? From the Phoenix? Yeah. Okay. And then what was happening without us knowing it, the Dutch Harbor Clinic had this storm has been going on for like five days. So yep. The guy that we we these people in, but the life med couldn't get in to get them out. So the King Air isn't there. So we're the only aircraft in town and um, the, the clinic was running out of not only supplies, but just they had too many life-threatening medical conditions to deal with. So yep. I think they district and said, hey, we need to get some of these people out. And then district, you know, we just get back from this, not even 24 hours later, we're, you know, my opinion, we've, we've signed out checks for the paycheck for the next month. <laughs> and uh, and then they were like, hey, we need you to start medevacing these people to 
get them out of Dutch Harbor. And really. So thankfully, um, we were able to get a King Air, I mean, a C-130 into Dutch Harbor. But that was a big question with the storm, you know. And, yeah. and C-130 going into Dutch Harbor in a storm, I mean, I know that that's no, they don't take that lightly. And uh, that's where Tommy Humphrey and his crew did an awesome landing. And it was a, it was a really good community builder that we did there, I think, because once that C-130 landed, I mean, the ambulances did not stop coming and they just kept, they did a mass medevac out of Dutch Harbor in the middle of that storm. That's um, impressive. Yeah. So ambulance after ambulance, they kept loading people out. Yep. And then, and then we still had, um, two cases the next, yeah. the next morning. So that did at this point, did the Alex Haley, they left you guys there? Cause you said they were getting underway that day, right? So they were, so after the, the oh, we'll call it Phoenix number one, Phoenix after one. Phoenix number one, they were, they were still in port, but I think they were getting ready to get underway. And then that kind of segues into our very next call. Like the next morning was phone call district. Hey, you ever hear of a fishing vessel Phoenix? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like they want you again. Sure, this time it's a stroke patient, and Jordan's up in the hot seat for this one. Yeah, um, and I think whether it was whether it, that storm had pretty much died down it by this time that so, night. Yeah, okay. so this one, you know, we both hoisted, we both done a maritime medevac. Obviously, not taking it lightly, but things. This one I was a lot more energetic about. Yep. Um, and uh, this this guy, I think he had a stroke on this one, and. Um, yeah, so at this point, are you guys excited? Are you like, dude, we're supposed to be like fly fishing. Like, I haven't played any Halo at this point. Like, <laughs> when does that happen? No, just, I think the stoke was on. Okay, yeah, good, like, good. Like, wait, the Phoenix? Like, we just did the Phoenix. What do you mean? Like, yeah, the, the stoke was on, and we were excited. We were gelling as a crew. We yeah. were excited to do our mission. We were like, this is exactly why we're out here. We're the only ones who can respond and we're, we are responding well. We're or managing or crazy enough to respond yeah, to it. Crazy. Everyone else is like, nah, nope, <laughs> nope, no way. Hard no, pass. <laughs> oh, well, Neil's like, we'll do it. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it's, I mean, family talk, you know, it was like family talk on each one. You yeah. know, we were like, hey, how can we, we're probably going to have to do this. I mean, should we do this? Can we do this? I mean, how can we do it well and, and mitigate as many risks, risks as we could? So, yeah. yeah. So we were stoked. I, I was just saying like everyone was stoked to be, to be doing what we signed up for and to be doing it well. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, was so. this, was this case any different than the previous Phoenix in terms of uh hoisting platform? Do you guys go to the bow again <clears throat> and do a downswell hoist or uh, was it? Yeah. The conditions were definitely much improved, and the the best part about this one was that it was outside of that that threat area for the storm. This one was up by Cold Bay, mm-hmm. and they were only about miles offshore from Cold Bay, uh, which was good. So, if, you know, if, if the 60 had been in Cold Bay, this probably would have been a good one for them to easily accomplish. Um, once again, we were the closest acid and by this point, I think district was like, wow, we can use that 65. Like I said, there. man, that, that whiteboard, they had 6571 circled twice open, at this Open point. for business. Open for business. <laughs> open for business. <laughs> and then this was where we learned our lesson that, you know, if you don't have that 25 plus knots, you know, maybe backing down at eight knots isn't always the best idea. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the hoisting platform was super smooth. So I like that. Um, Stroke patient, took him back to Cold Bay, medevac, got him out of there. Um, that one felt really good. Um, Cold Bay is freezing cold. I mean, 
obviously it's in the name, but yeah. So we spent another night in Cold Bay there, and the, the other thing about Cold Bay is like you just have to understand like if it's a little town on a big peninsula island, and there is nothing out there. Sixty-five guys were bad about it because we can't take much with us. But each yeah. time we're bringing like a mountain house meal so that you have dinner and things like that when you get there, you know. Um, so luckily in the in the house, it's mostly stocked by the sixty guys. But we stole some. I think Matt, we made some pasta that we found in the fridge and threw a little meal together that night. So why is uh, this is a sidebar question? But why is Cold Bay there? Like, why is there a uh, airport specifically there? Is that like a halfway point between like that used to be used for refueling uh, flights going across the Pacific or I think it has some World War II heritage to okay. it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it has a very large like runway, like abnormally large. So I think there's some strategery. Yeah. Lots of strategery. In, in having that asset there. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's also a really big fishing town just down the road, King Cove, where okay. we did our last minute out of, um, and, you know, I'm not sure of the importance of King Cove's fishing. I'm sure it's pretty impactful, but they are the next biggest logistical supply yeah. Cold Bay to that town. I got gotcha. you. So, like Cold Bay itself, the reason we have an FOL there is like the fishing grounds are pretty much just due north of there in Bristol Bay. So, like your red king crab, it's all right in there, and okay. your and Pacific cod fisheries are all all right. There, maybe like 80 miles north of Cold Bay. And that's why we have enough well there and why a lot of our cases come out of there. A 60 out of Cold Bay can accomplish a lot. I gotcha. Okay. Do you guys always have a fishing rod on the aircraft at all times? <laughs> <laughs> I think the 60s, I mean, that's standard load, right? Okay. Well, you know what? The fly fishing rod is, you know, they break down into four pieces and go in a little tube. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. you haul that thing around the 65. No problem. No matter what. Yeah. So the fish it's on the format. That's a Cordova discussion. Uh, not so much can happen okay. down there. <laughs> Got it. All right. Um, back back to the uh, the adventure that is the Alex Haley deployment, which I feel like at this point you spent more days land-based uh, than the shipboard? Uh, I think we're like probably skipping over some of the... Yeah, we were definitely we were on the ship. We, we okay, you had some ship. doldrums on the ship. Got it. Yeah. And then we were on the... on After that last stroke, we went back on the boat had about a week of boat time, boat time yeah. um, you know, and then that's where like you get the, there were definitely some times on the boat, you know, just rock, what did we watch every single Rocky movie? What was mm-hmm. the other thing we went? Um, there were a couple runs that we went to just trying to hit the franchise movies, you yeah, know, like all of start to finish. Oh yeah. And then uh, the, the, the Haley actually ended up suffering a casualty and lost one of its uh, propeller screws. So, they that's, were that's not good. Unable to generally not a good control. thing for a ship. Yeah, I, I found out later. That's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, I didn't know what they were talking about. But, <laughs> no, uh, so that towards the end of the end of the deployment day, we were supposed to stay on with them for a bit and ride all the way back yeah. to Kodiak, and yep. we ended up spending a couple nights in Dutch Harbor towards the end there, and um, we stood the SAR, the bearing SAR out of Dutch Harbor there while they um, made their way home slowly and, and uh, then they went on to Kodiak but yeah. that was where our last one was uh, kind of unbelievable I was like are you kidding me like we haven't <laughs> we haven't at the bottom of the yeah. one more phone rings again you know? yeah wow and the, 
this one was nighttime. It was really, so that was cool. Something completely different. And um, nighttime back up to a uh, non-maritime medevac out of, cold, out of King Cove. Oh, okay. Yeah. What was the injury again for that one? So it was a, a two-year-old girl who oh, had okay. respiratory stress. Yeah. So there's no, there's no road. King Cove is like a 10 minute flight from Cold Bay, but there's no road yeah. connecting the two communities. And, you know, for lesser things, they'll, they'll go on a water transport, but that could take up to two to three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but for more urgent things, like we're the, at night, we're the only show in town or bad weather. It's a gravel strip. It's conveniently nestled like in a box Canyon between two mountains. So it's just <laughs> get in and out of you know, in, in foul weather. And the King Air will go in there, but not at night, not at, not at night and not in bad weather during the day. So we end up being the only, like when they're calling us for King Cove, it's already because nobody else can do it. And it's probably all just like Accutan. It's probably because it's crappy. Oh yeah. I'm, we, I'm looking at the gravel strip right now. It looks like it's at the base of some giant volcano <laughs> inside oh. of a box canyon. <laughs> okay. You know, it is. Right, so, so I got to tell you my kid, I got to tell you my volcano story because Neil didn't believe me. And I was like, oh. <laughs> So we're, so we're cruising up there and it's like 11 PM at night and we're just so elated because it's VMC, you know? Oh, it's, nice. Finally. We're, we're not, we're not grinding. Finally. So we are like, look at this. The, the gods have finally given us one and maybe we're letting our guard down a little bit, you know, but we're, we're not, we're not, we're like just enjoying the fact that I can see more than 10 miles and it's great. Mm-hmm. So we're cruising up there and we're on the Southern side of the, Aleutians just because you got to pick which way the winds are working that way. So we're mm-hmm. coming up the south side. And it's a good trek from Dutch Harbor to Cold Bay, King Cove. I mean, it's what was like hour and a half, something I forget exactly, but that's pretty much max max fuel to do the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're all the way in Dutch. Got to go to King Cove and then Cold Bay, right? So I am looking and I see this. It looks like a giant like firework just continually going off on the mic front left quarter and I'm in the left seat mm-hmm. and it's like a Roman candle that was just continually popping off. And I'm like, Neil, you see that thing over there? And everything else is pitch black, but we got a good horizon. And he's like, yeah, I think I see it. I think that's Venus. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> man, that's, okay, Venus, huh? I'm like, okay, you're, you know, I'm still learning. Like, cool. Yep. That's, that's Venus. Definitely. We get a little close. That's got like this like flame look to it where it's like pulsing and it's moving, but it's just this like, fireball but under goggles you know they're just white we got the white goggles now and mm-hmm. just this bright light we get a little closer and uh it 100 percent ends up being the pavlov volcano that was uh that has a tfr we knew the tfr was out there and they just go through their seasons where they're um erupting and stuff so yeah we're just passing by this erupting erupting volcano that <laughs> there is you go. cool no big deal no that- big deal out there nighttime non-maritime medevac case, erupting volcano, just standard ops, you know, for <laughs> Alpad. <laughs> uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I was a deck watch officer on a 378, the, the chase out of San Diego, and we're doing a Jayad of South deployment or somewhere, you know, South America somewhere. And uh, my buddy, Tim Cronin, he's on the, the mid watch and he's like looking through the little MVG scope and he sees this thing glowing. It's like right on the horizon. And he's like, man, I don't know what this thing is. So he calls ops. Ops comes up. He's like, drive towards it. Let's go figure out what it is. So we're like driving towards it. Nothing happens. So like they call the CO up and they're all looking at this thing. And sure enough, it was a volcano. No uh, way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> drive and towards so, it. Drive towards it. Drive towards it. Let's board it. <laughs> <laughs> 
our lesson learned on that last one though um, is we were just really happy to be in BNC. The weather was great. Winds were very manageable. Um, and going into the, it's a dirt strip. It's, it's a gravel strip. And we, we talked about the potential for browning out, doing a dust landing in there. Mm-hmm. And we would evaluated it. I'd seen it. It's been raining and snowing for like yeah. a, like a I mean, week. Like middle of winter. Yeah. We're like, no, it's going to be covered by snow. Like it's got to be at least be saturated. And uh, Neil sets us up there for a good approach going in, got the ambulance. And the, I think the troopers were out there too, just setting up an LZ for us. Pretty standard King Cove stuff. And uh, we go in there and sure, like luckily, you know, kind of had some past experience to rely on there. But I see the, the brown monster coming up my left side. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, that's coming up. And we brown out for sure. Neil does a good uh, assessment. He he punches a go around. We come back around and that, that was a significantly good dust cloud that uh, Neil got us out of there, came back around and kind of did, did like a, a mini r- run on to the runway instead of the ramp there mm-hmm. and uh, kind of rolled the, the gravel. So, you know, you're trying not to chip a windshield or anything and then came in there and that dust cloud is still sitting in the air. So that was just, you know, that's just Alaska right there where the minute you let your guard down, it, it kind of slaps you on the wrist and says, you know, shows you what, yeah, what it can do again, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'll use that again as like a shout out to LPAT. Like what I like about this unit, you know, I, I consider us, you know, pretty, pretty top tier in that I mean, we got to be good. We haven't really talked about ship helo, which is our, our bread and butter, but we got to be good shipboard pilots, shipboard SAR pilots. We keep our advanced SAR qual. We keep our vert surface. Uh, we fly in mountainous terrains. You got to be a good mountain flyer. Um, you know, you got to keep your wits about you with these gravel strips and, you know, things like brownouts, whiteouts, and it's a very fun environment for a, a capable pilot. And like, if you ever want to expand, I came up here to expand my horizons as a pilot, even though I've been, been flying for 16 years. It's like, you know, what, what's the next challenge uh, for me as an aviator to grow? And yeah. it was, and it was Alaska. And it's uh, this deployment in particular is just like one of the, the proofs for me uh, mm-hmm. that we encountered about everything. And that was a blast. Yeah. Nice. I didn't know you guys had that, uh, the brownout on that last one. And I think we do a really poor job of talking about our no hovers and what do we do if we brown out either on a takeoff or landing? Cause what do we always do? Um, a stand check card or a RT one. You're like, okay. Um, yeah. Land to the numbers. Okay. This would be a no hover. Okay. Hey man, you're right at five knots, but that that's good. And we don't actually yeah. talk about what we're, um, the goal of that is like, yeah, you, you talk about the brown monster of like, no, you're trying to stay ahead of that as best you can. Um, and there's different techniques to do it. And, um, you know, and then what happens if you do get in that cloud and you are at 15 feet and you have zero references, like now what are you doing? Right. Because if you don't talk about that ahead of time and it happens in the moment and your pucker factor is at maximum, you're probably not going to yeah. make very good decisions in that moment. Um, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Did the flight mech call out that, hey, you guys are starting to kick up stuff not? Because I think, you know, they're the ones that probably would have the first view that, hey, we're in a potential to brown out here. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember the flight mech calling it out. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, we're pretty locked up. I, I enjoy, you know, the whole time enjoy flying with Jordan and flying with my crew. Um, it was like we had not, we had mentioned, I was like, hey, it's a gravel strip, it's dirty, uh, but it's been raining and snowing, so I'm not expecting dust, but that's a potential. So as soon as the dust cloud started to kick up and was called out, it was at that point, uh, let's do a wave off mm-hmm. because we did not brief 
you're not applying a dust landing technique to this and then, you know, come back around and let's get a good game plan together. Now that we know it's dusty down there. Yeah. So did you guys, um, I, it sounded like the ship left you. Did you do your own sweet little mini cross country up the Aleutian chain to get back to Kodiak? Yeah. And that was another thing that we kind of just got the full package on the deployment. Like you're lucky as an LPAT pilot, if on your deployment, you, you get to do the Aleutian shuffle, we call it. Uh, and we got to do it twice down there and back. Um, so that was just from an exposure point of view. I mean, that flight is it's incredible and it's, it can be really challenging. On the way home, we ran into our weather issue. We got stuck in Cold Bay for a night due to weather, um, you know, and that, and that happened. So it can take two or three days to get home from Dutch Harbor. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you got to caveat your first shipboard deployment, Jordan, with will that happen? <laughs> like, well, is that going to happen again to anybody? That's such an incredible I, deployment that you had. I think I've, uh, I think I've checked my boxes for like probably my entire tour, you know, and uh, I'd, I'd probably be okay with that because yeah. some of that was good enough. <laughs> but, well, we know that Neil has a powerful mustache. So probably generated a lot of that search and rescue <laughs> in the first place. Oh yeah. He was, he was just leading us, you know, with his mustache. Oh man. That's great. Well guys, do you got any other, uh, things about that deployment you want to discuss? I mean, that kind of wrapped up some epic SAR cases and, and really good decision-making along the way. It's pretty awesome to hear all that. Yeah. Just, I think from my takeaway from that, watching Neil from learning him in from him, you know, you spend your first year here just watching and, now making Alaska call, but just put yourself in a position where you're safe and effective. Um, and that it's the little things, you know, like having the chats with your crews when things are down. And, um, you know, if one person, for me, the America's finest that where the guy had, had a foot injury, the 60 mm-hmm. tried to respond, couldn't respond. Um, if we didn't do that, matter of fact, nobody was, it would have had to be days before mm-hmm. somebody got to that that guy's foot. So if somebody had, you know, broken the pedo tube on the aircraft, like we're down, you know, we're done. Um, and that's where I was just really impressed working with Neil, watching him, how he, he kind of led the crew throughout the entire deployment. You know, there's so many little things that pop up that you need to be prepared for. Yeah. Who were, um, who were your crew again for that deployment? Yeah. So we had, uh, Matt, Matt Haig was our, um, watch captain or mm-hmm. our, and, uh, Luke Rank- Wengren was our rescue swimmer. We had Michael Branson was our flight mech, and then we had a flight mech of training, a BA, Riley Smith, who um, was kind of like a maintenance, uh, another maintainer. Yeah. yeah. And he rocked it. Super difficult for him because he's not flight mech qualified, so like he's he's not actually riding with us on these cases. So does all the leg work to launch us and all the leg work to recover us and like doesn't get to see the in-between. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he, he was up on the rotor head during the blade fold and unfold and, and dude rocked it. So we yeah. had a, I was fortunate to have such a great team backing me up with Jordan and, and the, the other guys. Kudos to those guys. That's, that's really awesome, guys. I mean, you, um, a lot of people, uh, you know, don't want to go up to Alpat. They don't want to go up to Alaska. But every person I've talked to that's been in Alaska has, even if it's just once, some epic flying story that you can never get <laughs> in the continental United States. Like what you guys did up there uh, and had the opportunity to do is just awesome. It's really, really awesome flying. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely downsides to 
living on a small island in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't get done within 12 hours. Uh, it's more like 12 days at best. But <laughs> you just kind of look beyond that. Yeah, nice. I think uh, I really appreciate uh, Sam and Kennedy the opportunity to let us tell our stories yeah. to the fleet. Appreciate it. And, uh, you know, share the ex- our Alaskan experiences with uh, with everybody in Coast Guard Aviation. Um I think it's uh, kind of like if the tree falls in a forest, right? No one's around. Does it ever happen? You know, and uh, you guys provide a good, good platform to let other people know the stuff that's going on in the units. Like, oh man, I didn't know Alpad did stuff like that. You know, uh, oh yeah, it's a good place if you want to come up here. Neil, I love drinking beer and talking story, man. <laughs> so. Any, any day you want to do it. Sorry, Ken, I interrupted you. Over yeah, there. no, I just, uh, no, we really appreciate you guys taking the time and uh, for us to live and learn vicariously th- through you guys uh, has been awesome. And I don't know if you're familiar with our, you know, how we like to end our podcast, but normally um, we give our guests just an opportunity to give some sort of uh, advice, whether it's aviation or, or non-aviation related, but um, what would you say to yourself or some other pilot that uh, is coming up in the ranks? I think for me, definitely just always have the attitude that you can always learn something um, and just always be learning. You know, you I considered myself pretty good at IFR stuff leaving Oregon, but you come up to Alaska and there's just environmental conditions and different types of flying styles that you've never thought of, you know. And, yeah. and even more so, shipboard stuff, it's, it's managing the personnel, you know, um, and expectations and leadership stuff that I'm definitely – still learning so you're, you're never as good as you think you are you still learn yeah awesome yeah never never stop learning i worry about a pilot who's like yeah i think i pretty much learned learned it all seen it done it you know what about you neil i think it floats around out there i think it was admiral ray he's got like a, a sheet or someone's got a sheet of like uh, aviation words of wisdom mm-hmm. i think it's admiral ray yeah every now and then i like to bust that one out and read through it's, it's got some good truths in there for uh, flying wisdom. All right. I'll have to go look that up. I don't think I've seen that for a while. Yeah. Um, so we can po- post it, post that somewhere. Yeah. Any other parting shots guys, before we uh, wrap this up? Yeah, it's safe. Like if you're, if you're like on the fence or squeamish about Alpat, like, uh, I think it could be, if you take the chance, take the risk. You want to come and grow as an aviator. I think you can find some fulfillment here. Yeah. And I've been here a year already and it feels like I just got here yesterday and it's, it's crazy watching guys like Dale who are getting ready to put their picks in and you know realizing that that's, that's next year you know so it's only a three year tour and um, you could love it or hate it but I think it's all about your attitude nice I like that well and with that guys really appreciate your input here uh, today and uh, fly safe up there in Alaska we'll see you guys thanks guys yeah thanks we'll see ya we say goodbye